Hey, welcome to The Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. So we come to the final in our series of preparing the soil. And so far we've looked at Bible reading, looked at the importance of prayer. And last week we looked at stewardship slash tithing. Now this week we're going to look at baptism. Now baptism is something which, funnily enough, as a Baptist church, you'd think that we would do quite regularly. (laughs) And if I'd been really, you know, prepared, I would have had a baptismal tank here at the front for us, for people who wanted to, you know, be baptised after the service. But there are lots of people with pools around here. So, and then we have a, we have a lovely creek out the back. If you want to, yeah, take the plunge. All right, baptism. I have a question for you all. Did baptism start with John the Baptist? What do people think? Baptism start with John the Baptist. Pardon? You read my notes. <laughs> so is it yes or no? No. Okay, very good. But, pardon? You read my <laughs> Well, good. I'm glad my notes are right. Um, so if you do open the pages of the Gospels, right at the beginning here, we see John baptising in the Jordan River. Now, if you were to do a word search in the Old Testament, the word baptism doesn't come up at all. Not once. So you can begin to think, well, perhaps that baptism is just a New Testament thing, just appears in a vacuum. But that's not the case. Um, What I want to do this morning is take us on a journey, a journey through the Old Testament. As we journey through the Old Testament, we arrive at Jesus. And at the end, we're actually going to see, hopefully you'll see the importance of baptism. And what this symbolism means, not just uh, something you do because we're a Baptist church and it's part of our constitution to be a member, but actually part of scripture and tied in with some of the deepest images in the Bible. Now, I have another question for you. If you are dirty, what do you do to get clean? Shower. What's something else you can do apart from showering? Bathe. Okay, now... So before you bathe, what are you? You are what? Dirty. Then what happens when you bathe? What are you now? Clean. Okay, I'm going to use the word status. Your status changes. You go from being unclean to clean, yes? Okay, now in the Bible this happens a lot with the Israelites. The status changes. Now, believe it or not, if you turn to the opening pages of Scripture, we find baptism. You may not believe it. So this is imagery. This is often how the Bible works. It may not use a word directly, but taps into images that come through again and again throughout Scripture. And the early church fathers themselves, they recognise this. They they recognise that even the act of creation was a baptism. Now, when do you think in creation this could have happened? What could I be talking about that creation was an act of baptism? 
They want to know, here you go, put everyone on the spot. What happens in day two? Yeah, well, the world was already flooded day one, but day two, does everyone remember? It's water, water related. Anyone know? There's a separation between the sea and the sky. Okay. Then later on, there is separation between waters and land. Yeah? Okay, that's like a baptism. Because baptism enables life to begin. And so here at the very beginning of creation, God is taking waters, waters which represent chaos and evil and judgment. He's taking the world from something that status is useless, unclean, unlivable, and he makes it livable. Okay, so that's there. That's all the way tied back there in creation. And another one, which the Apostle Peter, he gives us a direct reference to, it's Noah's flood. How could Noah's flood be a baptism? Well, what happened to the world? What was happening at the world at that time? Sin, evil. In fact, the, the rabbis would say this is one of the most evil times in all of society. What does God do? Brings in a flood and there's a new world created. And, and, and what's really cool is that Noah's ark, in the Hebrew it's called Tebah. Tebah is the Hebrew word for ark. Yeah, I, you, I tell you guys, I'm going to teach you Hebrew and Greek in my time here. What's interesting about the Tebah is it's a box. Okay? Not like, you know, in Sunday school, get the image of the little giraffe hanging over the top, and it's. No, no, Noah's flood, it's a box. In that box, it's like a temple. And that temple protects Noah and his family. And when Noah and his family come out, of the ark. It's like a new creation. The world that was old and sin and diseased is now different. Okay, you're starting to get the theme that's happening here throughout scripture. And you know how I said that word tebah? It comes up again in the Old Testament, and this time's with Moses. And so we know the story about Moses. Moses and the Israelite babies, they were meant to be thrown into the River Nile. And Moses' mother, just a tremendous act of faith. Have you got babies? A lot of us do. If you've got kids, can you imagine putting your baby boy into a basket and just letting him go on the Nile? And so what the author of Exodus does is probably Moses himself, is he uses his word teba. It's like an ark. And Moses is... And his name even means is drawn out of the waters. Okay? So, what's happened to Moses when he goes in before the waters? What's his status? He is a what? He's a slave. Hebrew slave. Then who rescues him? Pharaoh's daughter. So what does he come out as? He's the son of a princess. See? Status change. These are baptisms that are happening throughout Scripture. And then the last one, oh, actually the second last one, I should say, crossing the Red Sea. And the Apostle Paul, he links this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 too. What happens here? The Israelites, they're at the edge of the Red Sea. They cannot cross it. What does God do? He parts the waters. The Israelites come through and then they're saved. Another baptism. And Paul himself recognizes that. And the last one. Joshua chapter 3, 
the Israelites crossing in the Jordan River. There, at the, at the edge of the river, they're people of the wilderness generation. They haven't entered the promised land yet. God parts the river, they walk through the waters, and they come out and they're people of the promised land. Okay, that's a lot of content there for you all on a Sunday morning. And there's going to be a quiz after this, so I hope you are listening. <laughs> no, but I hope the point of this little Old Testament journey is to see that these symbolisms here are tied in with some of the most important events in Scripture. Baptism just didn't arrive in a vacuum. It's tied in with the Old Testament. And so the point of God rescuing the Israelites, rescuing Moses, of saving Noah's family, is ultimately to point people to him. The Israelites are his chosen generation. In fact, in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 19 from verse 5, this is the reason God says why he rescues the Israelites. He says, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. It's important. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What does a priest do? What's the role of a priest? Anyone know? Pardon? Intercede, very good. Be a mediator to intercede. Now, the nation of Israel themselves, they were meant to intercede on behalf of Yahweh, their God, for all the nations. Okay? But within the Israelite society, there were a special group of priests themselves. So all the Israelites, they're priests, the kingdom of priests. But within that, there's one tribe, one tribe who represented the priesthood, who were to serve God day and night. They were the Levitical priests, the tribe of Levi. Now, it seems how the theme is baptism. Can you guess what happens to the priests before they were ordained to serve in the temple? What do you think was one of the first actions that happened? They were what? Here we go. So the book of Leviticus, which I know is everyone's number one choice of book to read in the Bible when you're looking to read through it. Leviticus chapter 8, it tells us here from verse 6, Then Moses brought Aaron, so he's Moses' brother, he's the first high priest, brought Aaron and his sons forward and washed them with water. He put the tunic on Aaron, tied the sash around him, clothed him with the robe and put an ephod that's like a special hat on him. He also fastened the ephod with a decorative waistband he, had, he tied around him. He placed the breast piece on him, put the urman and the thruman in the breast piece. Then he placed the turban on Aaron's head and set the gold plate, the sacred emblem, on the front of it as the Lord commanded Moses. Lots of detail, lots of technicality, but essentially what Moses does is he bathes Aaron and his sons and he puts on these fancy robes. Once they're bathed again, we have this status change. They're now worthy to enter into the tabernacle. They're now worthy to offer sacrifices, to be the mediator between Yahweh and the people. So there's forgiveness of sins. But that baptism, it wasn't just a one-off. Moses didn't just baptise Aaron and then he was cool to just serve 
any time he wanted. We're actually told that in the tabernacle, and if you have lots of spare time, want to read about the construction of the tabernacle, go for it. But there's this description which, of building this thing which is called the bronze basin. And every time the people were to go there, it says here in Exodus chapter 30, this is from verse 17, make a bronze basin, which its bronze stands for washing. Place it between the tent of meeting and the altar. So you've got the altar we offered sacrifices and then the tabernacle. In between that, there was this basin for washing. And Aaron and his sons are to wash their hands and feet with water from it. Whenever they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water. And this is intense. So they will not die. Okay? You, you can't just enter in dirty. There's this continual washing. It has to happen again and again and again. Because if they don't do it, they will die. So even though the Israelites have crossed through the Red Sea, they've had that baptism, so to speak, you know, they're no longer slaves. They're now rescued from Pharaoh. They've crossed through the Jordan, been baptised in our people of the Promised Land. There's this problem. The, the washing's not enough. has to keep going on again and again and again. And later on, when the Israelites are settled in the land and Solomon builds his temple and they build this enormous bronze basin for the priests to wash in, it's so big that you have to have a ladder to climb in and bathe yourself. This just continues on and on and on. All the way up to the time of the exile. Now, when the exile, when the Babylonians came in and they destroyed Jerusalem, there's all this detail that goes on in the text. And in 2 Kings chapter 25, from verse 13, we're told here that it seems really random, but perhaps not so random when you kind of know the background that I've just um, taught you. It says here, 2 Kings 25, 13, the Babylonians broke up the bronze pillars, the movable stands, and the bronze sea or the bronze basin that were at the temple of Yahweh, and they carried the bronze to Babylon. Okay, it seems like a really random little detail, but it's really critical. What happened to the priests if they did not bathe before entering the tabernacle or temple? What happened? They died. Okay, so now you've got this problem. Okay, so... Our temple's been destroyed. The priests can't offer sacrifices. They can't wash themselves. They can't enter into this temple space. The Israelites can't get forgiveness. What's going to happen? How are the Israelites going to be forgiven in exile? It's a bit of a dilemma that the author of Kings leaves us there. And this is where the prophets come in, in exile. And the number of prophets speak about the coming of God's Spirit. But the book of Ezekiel, he ties in this washing and spirit, the best. And Ezekiel 36, from verse 24, he says, For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. 
Ezekiel's saying, hey, I'm going to cleanse you with water one day. But there's something greater about this water. It's not water that requires washing again and again and again. It's going to cleanse your heart completely and utterly. And again from the book of Ezekiel, and Mario, you spoke about the temple a few months back. If you remember, Mario was speaking about Ezekiel's temple vision and this great river that flows from this temple. And if you read Ezekiel chapter 40 to 48 and you have insomnia, trust me, it will be cured. It is so much detail in the description of this temple. But what's amazing, all this description of this temple, guess what one thing is missing? One thing is missing from it. Anyone guess? It's the bronze basin. That place where the priests would wash. Instead of this bronze basin, there is this river that flows out. And it makes the Dead Sea area this fertile, lush place. It's this Garden of Eden imagery. Okay? That's a lot of content, I know. There's a lot packed in here, but it's really important because now we can jump to Jesus. Now we can jump to John the Baptist. You need all that Old Testament information to get to John now. So if you open up, say, Matthew or Mark, let's go with Mark because Mark straight, straight away we meet John the Baptist. And Mark tells us in Mark 1 verse 4, And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. When you read that as an Old Testament Jew, understanding that, you begin to say, oh, John is doing something here really important. Even the fact that he's baptizing in the Jordan, we've learned that already, that the Israelites crossed through the Jordan. That was like a baptism. Here we go, we're doing something new. And John even says, I baptize you with water. But one comes after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then when John baptizes Jesus, if you remember, how, how did Jesus' baptism, what happened? What happened as soon as Jesus was baptized? Yeah, dove appeared. Now, I didn't ask this before. What was the sign that Noah's flood ended? What was it? Dove. Are you starting to see the themes that are packed in here? The fact that Jesus here is baptised in the Jordan, just tied in that image of Joshua and the people crossing from the wilderness to the promised land. Jesus even coming out of the waters like a new creation. It's like Genesis language tied in there. The dove around it, it's like a new Noah. And the fact is that Jesus is baptised by John and as we learned earlier, Moses had to baptize Aaron to become a priest. John is also a Levite. He's baptizing Jesus to become a priest. But it's not just any priest who just, we need continual washings or sacrifices. He's a priest who will baptize us with the Holy Spirit. And as Jesus goes out into the wilderness, he's tempted by Satan. And there he doesn't succumb to that temptation. And so then he sets himself apart. He is the new high priest, the new Adam. And in fact, when Jesus heals people, when he touches them, he acts like the temple. 
you read the Old Testament, people had skin diseases. They would have to go to the temple and get cleansing and the priest to say that they were now clean. They were healed. Jesus is fulfilling all of this. In fact, in John 7, 37, Jesus says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink water. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Jesus comes and his baptism. It's a way to identify with his people, but more importantly, it's so that we can be baptised with the Holy Spirit. And that day of Pentecost, when the Spirit came, we're told suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That's what Jesus has done. He's come to cleanse us. And that's what baptism points to. Baptism, as I said before, it's about a status change. So let's go with sin. All of us are dead in our sins. But when we're baptised, we now come alive in Jesus. So baptism isn't just something that Baptist churches have in their constitution to become members. It's not just some church governance thing to control people. It's tied in with salvation history itself. When you enter into those waters, you are, in a sense, showing this physical parable by getting into the waters. You're identifying yourself with Jesus Christ, the one who baptises us with the Holy Spirit. And you now enter into a new class of people. We now become the royal priesthood. Christians have that. And 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says here, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. When your friends, when you are baptised, you enter part of, of that royal priesthood. Yeah, salvation is found by Jesus baptising us with the Holy Spirit, by cleansing us, by washing our sins. But Jesus tied, that was his final command, go and make disciples of all nations and baptise them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's why baptism is important. Because Jesus Christ himself he commanded it. Also tied in there with that deep imagery of Scripture. The, the great Protestant reformer, Martin Luther, he said, whoever comes out of the waters of baptism can both boast that he is already a consecrated priest. We are all consecrated as priests by baptism. Friends, you've been sitting on the fence about baptism whether or not you want to do it. Pray that today that you've been encouraged. That baptism is a way to partner in with God's story, partner in with what he's been doing from the very beginning of creation, bringing life where there is no life, bringing hope where there is no hope, 
changing people's statuses. And by doing that, you're publicly declaring that Jesus Christ is my Lord. I want to identify with him, with his death and his resurrection and live in the newness that only Christ can give. To be part of that royal priesthood. Ultimately, see Jesus Christ's kingdom come and to be a faithful disciple who follows the commands of Jesus to be baptised and to see others around me live as baptised new believers. So, friends, I want to thank you for giving me your time and your energy. And like I said, there is a quiz afterwards now. So, <laughs> well, I pray this morning that's given you a new love and appreciation of the Old Testament, that you start to pitch picture some of the big pieces together. And on Tuesday, Mara and I will unpack this a little bit deeper in our banter. So if you want to learn more about it, I encourage you to listen there. Today, friends, I, even if you are baptised and you've made that commitment several years ago, that you're encouraged, you're re-energised by the fact that you have made a pledge that ties in with some of the most powerful imagery in Scripture. Let me pray for us. Lord, I just thank you for baptism. As we just see in your word, that the word may not have appeared in the Old Testament, but the image is there. Image of bringing life in the midst of darkness, changing people's statuses. And Lord, I just pray for us as a church, particularly as a Baptist church, that we can live as disciples who are transformed by the power of your spirit, who are transformed by the power of Jesus Christ living within us, who have been saved, cleansed and made whole and renewed. And so, Lord, I pray that for those of us here that need to make the decision to be baptised, that they will do that. And for those of us that have been baptised, Lord, to recognise that we are part of the new priesthood and it's our job to point people to Jesus, that they may have life in him. So I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed. <laughs>